Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our first pre-holiday Christmas program. My special guests tonight are distinguished poets, Marianne Slick and Ethan Goffman. Marianne's latest work is Poetry on Air, and Ethan's newest book is Words for Things Left Unsaid. Both acclaimed books are on Amazon.com as well as other outlets. Marianne and Ethan, are you with me? We are. Oh, I am. Fantastic. It is, I am so glad that you're here tonight as we almost close out the year. It's amazing how this year has gone. It's gone so it's quickly. Been a str- yeah, it's been a strange year, Marianne. It's been a strange, strange year. Right, I've got a question for before we begin tonight. How has this past year impacted your work, your poetry? And you both can answer that if you like. Well, I'm actually going to, I'm going to say okay, two ways. Actually, um I haven't I haven't written as much because I've had a lot of work from my job. You know, this this past summer I taught during the summer for the first time in years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, I I, I wrote more poems than I thought, but I I I wasn't as Focused on writing poetry. Okay, uh, all right, I Ethan. Think... Yeah. Oh, oh, continue. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Marianne. Continue. Well, I would also say it, it influenced me, as in, I think it strengthened my resolve to write about other people. Because basically, if I were to write a book of poems about quarantine, you know, a lot of them would be about working and teaching. So, yes, you know. They may not be what people want to read. Right, I understand. I understand. What about you, my friend Ethan? Well, I can't tell, but I've been writing a lot less poetry, but I've been writing more short, short stories, or I guess if you can want to, you can call them prose poems, but I don't think they're really poetry. But um, I think that was just kind of a natural progression for me that, like, my poetry energy was waning. No, yeah, and my uh, short story energy was waxing. Um, mm. And as far as content, you know, I didn't think I uh, was that influenced by the coronavirus because I thought, well, everyone's going to be writing coronavirus poems. Most of them aren't are going to be kind of bad, and I'm going to mm-hmm. have nothing to say. So I. But then when I I was going over what I've written this past year or so, and there's, there's a lot more coronavirus influence than I had realized. Right. All right, I understand that. Well, mm-hmm. as you both know, this is a call-in show. The call-in number is 646-787-1631. If you have a question for Marianne or Ethan, please call in. So, Marianne, I'd like to turn the program over to you. Great. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, I thought I'd start with um, actually um, three coronavirus poems. Um, Unfortunately, they're not from the book, but, you know, maybe if I have time later, I'll read from the book. Uh, This is, um, you know, again, this is a poem about somebody other than myself in which the singer becomes a nurse. White coat thrown over a jade polyester dress. The singer graduates from nursing school. She stands with a friend, a woman from the Gambia, the classmate she sang hymns with at a blind man's bedside. The singer's smile is fixed, the way it was when we worked together, when we sat at desks, answered phones, pounded out memos on the last typewriters, when we blow-dried our cuts, ironed our blouses, dabbed clear polish on the runs in our stockings. I wonder if she knew what she was getting into. 
working at the center of this pandemic, in the Bronx, where suiting up means reusing masks and gowns, wearing plastic shields and garbage bags, laundering latex gloves. Elsewhere in the city, doctors in private practice die from the virus. Workers who hand out the masks, who hand out the trays, die from the virus. Maybe this is the wonder. The singer gets up before dawn and comes home in the dark, climbing four flights of stairs as if she were still Sister Blanche, the nobleman's daughter, who ascends to the scaffold, bareheaded, wearing white, in the last scene of Dialogues of the Carmelites. This time, the singer finds her way to her upright piano to sing again. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Thanks. Okay, and another other quarantine poem is a little more, it's a little more hope. Well, I guess that was kind of hopeful. This is this is actually about me and Ethan um, and our local park. The bees return to Maryville Park. On the lip of a lavender flower, a bee breathes in the wild scent born of swamp water, thick mud, and sunshine, not sugar or perfume. Another bee pries out pollen to add to its sweet hoard, the kind we may not bottle or sell the bee's own, or so we want to imagine. Probably a house on MacArthur has hives, stacks of white boxes tucked among peach and apple trees behind a tidy brick ranch. The owner settles on the stoop. He plans to sell the honey, his honey, la miela. He may sell the pollen too. Wherever they come from, whether the honey is theirs or their keepers, masses of bees dip into blue vervain, joe pieweed, tiny yellow daisies, all the flowers that grow in the swamp with cat of nine tails and stunted large leaf trees. The bees were dying once. This summer they are reborn. The bees are gone right now. Yeah, well, you know, this is from the summer. Yeah, I know. That swamp is looking pretty dead at the moment. They'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) The last coronavirus poem I want to read is actually about a dream that I had. Um, And and I guess there was a I, I dreamed that I was in Dallas, Texas, with my parents. And I guess the reason I dreamed... I was in Dallas, you know, that the the night before Ethan and I had been to an open mic through the magic of Zoom uh in Dallas. It was in Dallas. Uh it you know, Mad Swirls open mic. So here it is, maskless in Dallas. Having overslept yet again, I wander the aisles of a Barnes and Noble that magically expands to an art gallery, a toy store a supermarket, all without selling the book I want. Nature writing set in the hill country, all that I will miss on the flight home. Without that book, I walk out to the shores of an artificial lake, large enough to be an ocean, with saltwater taffy and a cyclone at the end of the boardwalk. I walk past the bare-chested men and high-heeled women who clog this path, singing, smoking, swigging beer from brown bottles. I wake up gasping. All right, thank you. You know, Marianne, you're very creative. You know that. Um, Your work has been hailed throughout the world in terms of your creativity. What does being creative mean to you? Gosh. um, Well, I guess you know, I've always thought of myself as being creative as a you know since I was a kid, but I guess um, you know maybe you know the willingness to write about dreams. But you know the I dream that I'm in Dallas, Texas, um, and you know the willingness to write 
write things that people wouldn't necessarily think of and that make may, that make some people scratch their heads too. What is the best piece of advice you've ever give, been given about being creative? Who um You know, that's I don't know that I've necessarily been given advice, but I know that um, you know, one person, I guess she was kind of a boss at work, was saying, oh, you know, create, creativity can be in how you deal with things. You know, I ended up leaving that job, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess it's to, you know, expand my mind about creativity. All right. I've never asked whether you come from a literary background or not. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that I came from a literary back. You know, my my mother read a lot. My father read a lot of dental journals and you know, they brought us to art museums and plays and concerts, but um you know, it, it you know, my 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 parents were definitely science people. Um my grandfather owned a grocery store. My grandmother on the other side you know, she read a lot, but you know, she was an office manager. So actually, I'm I'm kind of an aberration. Although, you know, my my father is is artistic. You know, he 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 painted and, and did music. All right, very nice. What about you, Ethan? In terms of your background, you have a literary. Do you come from a literary background as well? I would say not. I mean, my dad was a math professor. My mom taught reading. Um, we had a lot of books around the house. I would not say my parents weren't sitting around reading highbrow books. They they read the paper and kept up with politics. My mom would read like science fiction and um you know, they were familiar with I don't know some of the classics, but I I would say no. We 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 had a lot of classical music around the house. Um right. So I don't think that makes us literary, though. But, yeah. And, oh, we did go to kind of artsy movies. Okay. So, uh, well, I'd like to... I'll go on. Continue. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please continue. Not quite literary. No. Not quite literary. Depending how you define that term. Yes. Well, I'd like to turn the program over to you, my friend. Oh, oh, some poems. All right. I'm going to read... I think I'll start with two from my book and then do some newer ones. Um, The book, Words for Things Left Unsaid, which is kind of left unbought. Well, I don't know how many are selling, but I got a bunch to give readings and sell after readings, but of course we can't. So anyway, they are sitting there. Um, So here's the first. It is called Taxonomy of History. There are three main branches in the study of history. The history of the past, the history of what happened, the history of what the hell happened. The last, less respected than the others, is sometimes known as the history of one damn thing after another. There are three even less reputable branches of history. The history of the future, the history of what might have happened, the history of what never happened. Most historians don't recognize these branches. Even some of the more refined poets scorn them. Still, they are thunderstorms, pummeling fields of cantankerous, yearning weeds, young weeds that sprout from drenched soil and spew outlaw seeds. Okay, Um, I'll go to a lot later in the book. I think I'm only going to read two from the book. Um, This one is called, it's a cat poem. The book has a lot of cat poems. At least one person complained about the number of cat poems, but, you know, we got a cat. We had two cats. They're a big part of our lives. Okay, so eight million years. Yowling and whining, 
Tally and Thelma demand breakfast each morning, walking over us with imperious impunity. Cats are an astonishingly patient species. They waited 8 million years, hunting, breeding, dying, hunting, for their humans to appear on Earth. They waited 8 million years to evolve in the blink of an eye from hunters to lovers, purring, rubbing, frolicking, ending the suffering of all the lonely people, becoming stars of stage and screen of a billion videos. They waited 8 million years to become an invasive species, slaughtering birds and voles and rare protected critters in nooks and crannies of the globe where no cat had ever been. Our cats haunt us daily, ghosts of devastation future, ethereal angels of love. We cannot live without them as we hurl toward our common fate. All right, so that's from the book. Um, I have some newer ones. Uh, oh, you know, I sent you a couple, but I, I think I want to read this one instead and then get back to the other because I really like this one. Um, it's called Native Americans Return to the Suburbs. Native Americans tread, creep, sprint, and leap through America's suburbs. Rabbit nibbles incessantly on vast salad bowls. Breeds copiously on a million lawns, watches nervously for enemies, cat and car, feels a rush of adrenaline, strange joy as she dashes into a thicket. Rabbit suckles her babies, loves them deeply, forgets them quickly, remembers the centuries, lives in the now. Deer no longer dwells in shadows, hiding from her Ancient friend, ancient nemesis, humans, for whom she has time and again, and again, kindly provided nourishment. Nowadays, dear eyes, two-legged beasts, common as the stars, as curiosities, if not quite friends. Clever fox hunts from the hidden places, preserves the gardens of her tidy human natures, neighbors from rabbits ravages fox remembers her long lost cousin wolf slaughtered and confined to reservations fox mourns wolf but cannot howl crow struts boldly down gray streets steps nimbly between killer machines dines greedily on roadkill digests corpses of squirrel chipmunk rabbit Deer, flying into nearby yards, meadows, crow returns her cousins to the soil from which they sprang. Crow remembers Raven, clever thief who stole the sun to alleviate humanity's suffering. Native Americans live among us if one knows where to look. Ghosts, spirits, remnants of 50 million dead Mohawk, Cherokee, Sioux, Ojibwe, Pawnee, Diné, countless more names forgotten. Very nice, Ethan. Thank you. Very, very nice. Very, very nice. I guess I'll ask you the same question. What does creativity mean to you? Well, I think... A lot of creativity is natural, so it just means being open to what we all have. You know, they say children are creative. We all have it. We all have that spirit. We all can draw upon it. Um, But the other side of it is you need craft and you need discipline. So, yeah, you want to tap to your natural creativity, but you also want to spend years developing you know, the art to actually take your your creativity and use it. 
What about advice? Have you been given any advice in terms of being creative? I don't know that I have. People don't often give me very useful advice. Okay. I give I give people plenty of useful advice, but they generally don't take it. So maybe, can I take it? maybe it's not really that useful. Anyway. <laughs> Marianne, you were going to comment? Marianne says she takes my advice. You give me advice and I take it. <laughs> well, if it's funny. Well, as I said, this is a call-in show, and we have a caller. Oh, I'd like yay. to bring this person in. Okay. Area code 301, and the first, last numbers are 6318. You're on the air. Oh, hi. It's Jerry. Jerry oh, hello, Jerry. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Um, I'm really – I've heard some of the poems before, and each time I hear them, I like them more. Um, Good. And I wanted to make that clear that I've heard the uh, – some of them I heard, some of them I didn't. But more and more I appreciate the little details that I might have missed the first or second time. So, uh, And the voices are clear as a bell. Um, so I'm, and I'm also enjoying the question. Well, so thank you. I have a question thank you the, very much. Yeah. I guess you kind of have the same questions I would have asked, which is, um, you know, I, but I love the I love the answers on creativity and where they're where they're a literary family, where they're from literary families, and I'm appreciating uh, these two poets because they are so natural and they yes nothing seems to, yeah it just comes out and you realize there's so much there you got to read it a couple times and hear it a couple of times to really, you know, bask in it. So that's Very nice. for, for the moment. I would All like right. to hear something, though. Yeah, I'd like to keep hearing more. All right. Very I, nice. will, I'll, I have a, a comment, which is when, when it's read out loud, sometimes the lines just have a lot more weight. Like, you know, it's a different experience. Now. Yeah. I can like I can also zone out when it's being read out loud and then you can't go back. So in a way I like reading better, but definitely like when the when the voice is there giving emphasis to the line it can really hit you a lot harder too. Well am I still on the line? I agree. Yeah. Yes you are. Oh yeah yeah, like the the, the poem about the um the the oh, the history that one I've always went gone crazy over, but the the last three types of history that you mentioned I completely forgot that even though I read it mm-hmm. like you know when you get I got the book from you um, I must have read it fifteen or sixteen times and there was so much more about the history that historians don't even worry about and that, that that's some of the most important stuff and I'm going like oh my god. How could I have forgotten about that? But yeah, it comes through with a really nice, clear reading. I love it. And Marianne's one about about the person she worked with. And every time I hear that, I seem to learn more. I seem to almost know these people now. First time it was like, oh yeah, well these are two people that work together. But now I'm going mm. like, yeah, I kind of know those characters. So mm. I was, and on every one, I just enjoying the heck out of it. Oh, great. Oh, very nice. Great. I'm so great. glad you called in. I know right, Jerry right. is like my biggest fan. I... <laughs> yeah. But it's always great I to have a fan. Anyway. <laughs> I have like but one other fan. He's one of two. Yes. But he's the bigger <laughs> fan of the two. All right. All right. Very nice. Very well, thank nice. You. Let's take a thank brief you break. Thank you very much for, yeah, oh. for inviting me. I'm oh. glad to be a part of it. Glad to be a living I'm glad. Glad Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back.
are back again. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. This is Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio, and this is our very first pre-holiday poetry reading. So whatever you celebrate, please have a great time and be safe. Marianne, I'd like to turn the program over to you. Great. Thanks. Uh, shall I re- I'll read some poems from uh, Poetry in Pl- on Plein Air, the book that I am trying to promote. And by the way, um, I'm, I guess um, if, I don't know how we can do it, but, um, you know, if you're interested in purchasing a copy at a discount, um, mm-hmm. I don't have the books yet, but I will be happy to send them to people. All right, great. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to get a hold of me, but. Uh, well, they can get a hold of me through you or through me. Okay, through yeah. Me. Yeah, 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 that'll through, work through you. I oh, you'll screen, you'll screen the crazies out. Yes, I will. There are more crazies than ever. Yeah, <laughs> now that's true. <laughs> oh God, tell me about it. I, I was uh, one of my friends who actually is a nurse, although not not a nurse of the palm. Um, you know, she posted something, and another um, classmate, you know, posted this really crazy thing. But I'm not going to get into it. Um, what I'd like to do to read from the book, I'm going to actually start with the last poem in the book. Uh, it's a poem that I'm reading by special request. Um, Ryan Quinn Flanagan, if you're you're listening, he's he's a he's a solo poet. Um, that he had asked for this. In the city of churches, she all Sunday not finding one as if they had all raced ahead of her plodding path, as if her younger self had wished them away. Instead, the streets brought her cafe, old cookbooks and a zoo of toothy animals, dark red flowers crushed on the sidewalk. She thought she was dreaming, passing a wooden house, fading yellow amidst the brownstones. She wondered if the church she'd find would be wooden as well, its stained glass made of tissue paper, its priest with its back with his back to the congregation. He'd speak Lithuanian, not Latin. In this church there would be no organ, no choir, six or seven people from her family's black and white photographs would loiter in the pews as the night hung on. The last notes of a hymn. Thanks. Um, I'd like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do uh, another poem. This is actually, um, yeah, I think I, I'd, li- I'd like to to read um, "Facing Worcester." Which is, yes, another one of the new poems, but it is in the book. So if you purchase the book, you'll get to read it. And it is actually it's a five four poem. This is a this is a form that was invented by uh Tad Richards who who taught it to me. And it was my attempt to bring some form and craft to my poetry. Facing Worcester. Myself a compass needle. I face north towards my birthplace. The antique hospital on one of seven hills in the city of spas, piazzas, parlors, and tonic. Words no one uses anymore. I face rice squares, African cloth stores, bodegas, and Indian fonts on bags of rice and red lentils, remembering the Polish nuns who fought Grampy on how to say his name. I face the city of Water Street, barrels of dill half-sour, kosher soap, there's whiskey bars. Okay. And I want to read a poem I don't usually read. It's, you know, it's it's kind of it's it's on a theme I do a lot with. It's um about, you know, what could have happened, what might have happened. 
And this poem is, In Another Life We Live in Presque Maine. North of the mountains, winter winds and spring fog sweep over the pond and through red pine, swaddling us as we read and grade papers, tying us to this place. Summers, I wander the downtown, the small towns of wide streets and storefronts he wanted to escape from, the ones I wanted to escape to for a little while. The daily greyhound from New York City crawls into our town. A former student or two emerge coming back from the city of subways, museums, Japanese gardens, vendors selling oranges and halados, the city of raised voices, sudden rain. When I come home, my husband is listening to all the old music on YouTube, the songs he used to have on vinyl. Everything stopped in 2005, the year we moved here. We talk about going back, but tonight the stars come out, stunning us with far more than we can see back home. Tomorrow morning, the fog will roll in with dawn, binding us here to this place. I think I want to read another main poem, and this is one that I wrote for um, DC Poetry Project. I forget who. I, oh, I, I think Lenita was was the yes, um, Lenita Hill. Yes, I remember her. Yeah, yeah, and it's about you know int- you know the prompt was introduce yourself um, by writing a poem about somebody who's not like you and. This is not me. Um, me, Yep, 47, Augusta, Maine. Augusta, Maine. I was made for the sun, but here I am in Augusta. At Christmas, the snow is as real as ground glass, and the three kings are just statues, less than the live dogs, around St. Patrick's Manger. All summer, mijijos played baseball, and I shivered in the stands, drinking cafe con leche from a thermos. The sun gave no more heat than a postcard of Florida. My brown thighs shriveled like bananas left on the counter. I cover them in mom jeans. All winter, I sit huddled indoors in a white parka, Bought from a catalog. I drink cafe bustelo. Straight, no leche. My gloved hands around a thermos from the bank. Neighbors hike to the ski lift on the edge of town. The men balance six-packs on their shoulders. No one else winces at the wind, the snow, the sleet, the black ice, the wind in the sleet that pound at my windows like somebody else's bad bad lover. My sons play hockey. I keep them busy. They are made for Augusta. Okay. I think I should probably let Ethan... Oh, I have another... Okay, yeah. I I was thinking about reading a music poem, and the music poem I want to read is... Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Um... Summer Solstice on U Street, and it's about Gary Bartz, who is one of uh, Ethan's favorites, my favorite too. And it's it's set at um, the late lamented uh, Bohemian Caverns. Summer Solstice on U Street. Let's pretend that it's midnight, as Gary, as saxophonist Gary Bartz, steps onto the stage. The room darkens. Candles on the table flicker. Shadows hide the thick-set men at the wall. The ceiling lowers. Tiny lights strung above stand in for stars. Imagine moonlight rippling on salt water. The scent of mango dusted with chili powder and cinnamon trickles in with the pianos and drums. We taste fruits we don't know the names of. Tap your toes for sure. 
or sway following the pianist's lead. But when the horn starts in again, carry yourself a little straighter. Cameras flash, wedged in, were all caught in the glare. All too soon imagine the empty streets above. Playing the last song, Bart's retreats into the morning, early morning shadows, the color of his long-tailed jacket, and climbs the back stairs to his refuge above the club. When we leave by the front stairs, it's still daylight on U Street. We can no longer pretend. Beautiful. Thanks. Marianne, what do you hope readers get in quotes from encountering your poems? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the the word paintings, I think, um, you know, maybe, a, you know, openness to different aspects of life. And maybe, you know, maybe even you know, with my jazz poems, um, and I guess probably also the art poems, um, you know, to artists they might not have paid attention to. Is you know, Gary Gary Bartz is known if you like jazz, but you know, most of the jazz poems that you read are all about the same old, same old, you know. Yes. Uh Charlie Parker and all that. All right, all right, all right. What about you, Ethan? What do you hope readers get from encountering your work? Well, I do like to amuse people, but I think I also have most of my poems actually have a pretty serious point. Um, well, you know, the last one I read, it's kind of obvious because it probably makes a big switch and hits you with a point at the very end. I, I mean, I hope the whole poem kind of led up to it, but you know, about the Native Americans in the suburbs. Yes. So you you have to prepare for it, but also surprise people at the same time. Um, if you can do that, which of course is a lot easier said than done. Um, mm-hmm. So that has a serious point. A lot of them have an environmental point. Um, but even if they're, you know, if they seem more tr- trivial, I uh, you know, I hope maybe they can help people at least briefly look at the the world in a somewhat different way or, or reflect on something that they hadn't really noticed. Um, and, y- yeah. All right. Well, I'd like to turn the show back over to you in terms of sharing your work. All right. So I'll do the two that I, I had sent you before. Um <laughs> So this is called I Garden Weeds. I wouldn't say I have a brown thumb. Fresh green weeds spring up where I garden, infiltrating the flowering natives. I cultivate a wild look. But when does cultivation end and weedy wildness begin? What is art? What is dishevelment? All gardening means tending living things with tiny minds of their own, selecting them, hurting them, eliminating undesirables, bringing order to wild, green, beating hearts. Writing poems is a kind of gardening from the soil of the spirit. What does one control? Are weeds gifts from the wild, from the oversoul? To garden, one must get down in the dirt. Never be afraid to prune, as an old girlfriend of sorts told me. She pulled out men as abruptly as I yanked dandelions the instant I spot their lovely golden heads. In the main garden bed, I scrape out, dig out, wrench out. Weeds, 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 weeds. Gnarly little interlopers with fluffy white flowering balls, vinyl running weeds encircling boisterous, broad-leafed things, puny patches of innocent clovers. As one wise gardener said, a weed is just a plant that has not found a champion. No matter how I prune and pull the soil of my soul, I've lost control of my garden 
my unruly thoughts, dreams, wild words. Ungrateful little weeds peek out, smile, say, don't hurt us. We are gifts of nature who made us all. Okay. So I'm going to, the next one, this is more, well, I did write the weed one. I think, when did I write it? At the beginning of the summer. So I guess that's, I would call it a new poem. Um, The next one is more, like I said, I've been doing a lot more short, short stories. If you really want to, you can call them prose poems. I don't know. You can decide for them yourselves, I guess, whether they're really fit anywhere within the categories of poetry. Well, I only have one because it's a poetry show. So this is called One Day in an Orchard. At my feet were stacked piles of apples, green streaked with red, a mild red, a ruby red, a blood red, struggling to shine through. I glanced up and realized I was in an orchard, trees shimmering with apples. I sensed that one of the apples was the one, the apple of sin and knowledge. Eating it would complete the circle begun by Eve that had signaled the start of human history. Eating it would bring about the apocalypse. I must not eat it. Yet I must. I felt compelled. It was time. Could it possibly be that I, who felt myself among the least significant people on the planet, as insignificant as the untouchables in India, the slaves that still exist in the hidden places around the planet, the child labor in the poorest of countries, the girls sold as sex slaves, the prisoners who stuff our jails with yearning to be free, would be the catalyst for the end of time? I picked up the first apple, took an enormous bite. It was slightly bitter, but mostly bland, not at all juicy. It choked me, but I gagged it down. Apples had never been my favorite fruit, and these were among the dullest of apples. If I only forced myself to smaller bites, eating them would not be unpleasant, just boring, and there was a whole orchard full. I could spend the rest of my life here, eat apple after apple, and still never find the apple of the knowledge of good and evil. I took a second bite. Okay, so you can judge. Is that poetry? You can judge, I That's guess. poetry. It, yes. it is. Oh, I thought it was prose. It is. Well, <laughs> well, well, the poetry, difference might prose poetry, be... Prose poetry. Yes. Different might be well you know there there are definitely some prose writers that write poetically and then there are some poets that basically write in prose but uh mm-hmm. yeah well let me ask this question about the editing process because as poets we edit and edit and edit some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature once it's out there there's not much you can do to correct or improve it while others edit meticulously, not leaving much room from the original draft form. What is your take on it in terms of editing? Both of us or me? You. you I'm sorry. Okay. Well, my take on it is uh, pr- pretty much in between those two. I think you can over-edit. I, uh, you know, the first drafts have problems. Um, I I think the most important editing is, you know, this isn't a good poem. I've already said this before. It's not very fresh. So the the most important is I'm not even going to bother trying to publish this because it's not so new or interesting. Um, But, yeah, there's nothing I've ever published that I haven't edited. Some of it I've only edited a little Others I've edited quite a bit. Um, And, you know, there are people, like, we know at least a couple poets who are old-fashioned who have meter and rhyme, and I think that must take a lot more editing. You know, free verse, I mean, 
Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think free verse might take more editing because, you know, there, there's not a pattern to it. Well, that's true. Well, yeah. Well, but, I mean, we I, have... You know, I, oh, we have a caller. We have a caller, but please continue your thought. I wrote a sonnet for a... Marianne and I and other people we knew all did um, poems for... It, it was like nature poetry, and then we we got video of it, and then wrote a poem about it. And I wrote a free verse, and I, I wrote a traditional sonnet with meter. I had to, I got help with a meter from Claudia Gary, who like actually really understands meter. But that was more work for me. But on the other hand, it could be because I'd never done it before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just getting the meter right is just hard, I think. Yes, it is. It is I hard. Mean, Let's they... bring in this caller. Oh, Let's bring on. in this caller, all right? All right. The area code is 818. The last four numbers are 99003. You're on the air. Good evening. All right. Well, this is one of the crazies following uh, Marianne and Ethan around. Hey, this is Bill. Hi. Oh, hi. How are you? Nice to hear from you. Yeah, I've been enjoying hearing you guys. Oh, thank and you. And it occurred to me, listening to no, no, no problem. I'm glad I could join in. Um, but it suddenly occurred to me, listening to both of you read, Marianne, you, you see metaphorically, and, and Ethan loves alliteration. <laughs> I was noticing that. So it's, it's fun to hear your stuff. So uh, just want to encourage you. you and uh, say thank you and uh, hope you guys have a good Christmas there. Oh, sure. Yeah, you you can, as an accomplished poet, you can uh, weigh in on the free verse. Is is it harder to edit free verse or? <laughs> well, actually, you know, it's funny. I've been, uh, I might have told you guys this, or maybe I haven't, but lately I've been trying to follow more formal or classical forms just to test myself and see how I handle it. You know, doing sonnets and decimos. In fact, I, I just found out, uh, there's an anthology coming out with a, uh, a, I guess it's Decima, technically, since it's a Spanish form. Uh, I'm, I'm giving it the American pronunciation. But, uh, yeah, I, I like working either way. I'm a big believer in form follows function. Whatever works best for what you're trying to do in the piece is the way to go. Yeah, that makes All right. I, I, oh, should I reply? No, please, or? please continue. Continue, continue talking. That makes sense, but I've heard the argument. Who was saying this? Oh, on the on my podcast, but it's not out yet. So this is like a preview. Oh, this will get people tuning in on my podcast. Um, that form causes you to think about things. Like if you're fitting something into a form, it causes you to think about things in a new way and maybe actually, therefore... The function, the meaning can expand or change because of the form. So maybe sometimes mm. function follows form. I don't, I don't know because I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't. If I have alliteration or rhyme, it's just because it pops into my head and I put it in there. I mean, I use repetition, and once I start doing it, then I'm pretty conscious. Oh, I'm repeating this thing but then with variation. But um, but I don't sit down and say I'm going to write a Sestina or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tried a Sestina once, man. That's hard. <laughs> I gave yeah. up. Uh, I read days, a really maybe. But anyhow, let me jump off and let you guys get back to it. All right. Well, anyhow, thank you for I'll, I'll, I'll take off and I'll listen to the rest of you guys. Bye-bye. Great, All right, great. fantastic. Thanks Thank for you. calling. Thank you again. Yes, very nice, very nice. It's always good to have supporters. Always good to have supporters. Let's take another brief break, another pre-holiday break, and we'll be right back.
are back. Again, this is our very first pre-holiday special. Whatever you believe, as I stated earlier, go out, have fun, and enjoy yourselves, but be safe as well. We're here with Marianne Slick and Ethan Goffman. We've got time for one more set of poems. And Marianne, I'd like to turn it over to you. Okay, yeah. Um, let's see. I want to, I act, you know, when uh, Bill was talking about the Sestina, I, I have never written a Sestina that I wanted to share with people. But um, I did write something that's called a Tritina, which is a type a of type of wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's a more efficient, condensed version of a Sestina. So let me find the palm uh, on my computer. Mhm. And. And I'll read one of them. Yeah, cause I, you know, ever since that workshop that you and and Mary Stone Hanley did, you know, I, yes. I I try to incorporate form in my poems. I'm I'm not just you know throwing words on the page. Okay. So I hadn't thought I hadn't thought about the this. You know these poems until um, you know some of the questions you asked, and um, you know until Bill came on. So what was the poem? Um, I think yeah, I'll take. I'll open this one. And the Tritina. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll definitely hear the repetition in this poem. At the Museum of Rocks, I try to remember winter in Lordsburg, the two-mile walk back from the ghost town, past the small cemetery with its broken rocks, not flowers, not even plastic petals broken, off in the wind that swept through Lordsburg. On a whim, we had chosen that town. Just as we slunk into this almost ghost town, under skies that had already broken, no tiny flowers began to bloom in Lordsburg, even this far south. It was winter, after all. So this is, an, this is a rough example of a tritina. Um, I have others, but this is the first one I found. Very nice. Very nice. And let's see, what other poems do I want? Oh, I think, well, you know, I, I want to read poems. I, I kind of want to read poems that I don't read a lot, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I go back to some of the old ones. Um, yeah, this is this is an Indiana poem. It's called When Words Are Stones. I guess we're, we're doing the stone theme here. When Words Are Stones. Standing at the edge of the river, she looks out at the caramel flood, its thick, sweet color swelling over where the stones were last summer. She remembers seeing them for the first time, noticing how bright the river was. How many stones gathered around the stream like words. She could speak here with new friends in this city, not her own. Choosing a stone, feeling its dryness, its heat. She considered whether to throw it or to bring it to her room. Today, all stones are drowned in dirty water. Today, she has spoken to no one. The river smells of mud, of drowned, lost animals caught in the sudden flood without branches to cling to a leafless tree stands aloof aloof branches out of reach from water that laps at its roots this tree has survived each year's flood she turns away knowing that the stones will return that words will too tomorrow she returns here whether the flood rises or retreats Next 
spring she will watch it carrying away black branches and corpses through the heart of this college town. But today she returns home. Okay, and I think one more poem, which is a, a shortest poem. And this, this is actually uh, a poem where I mentioned John Lennon, but, but he died 40 years ago this this month. Um, oh, and, yes, that's correct, yes. Yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, that that was probably, you know, one of the formative pop history um you know, pop culture things that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I thought I'd, I'd close with this. From the roof you can see forever. His pure, his voice sounds like a swallow of pure lemon juice, of pure lemon, excuse let me start over again. From the roof you can see forever. His voice sounds like a swallow of pure lemon juice, no sugar. Choke as it goes down, and the studio orchestra swells. Acid waves creep onto cold sand as the garden dissolves in rain. You try to remember if this is Lennon's voice, long silence. You wonder how he would sound as an old man, bent, bald, blind, his son long grown, still smoking, He'd be a remnant of the old city on the new island of purified air, ringtones, vapes, iced coffee infused with nitrogen. Men like him live in fifth-floor walk-ups crowded with hard-backed books, vinyl records, cigarette butts, coffee cups. Halting, they climb to the roof, awaiting what the city will become once the asphalt-colored rivers rise, island dissolves in rain. The island dissolves in rain. Beautiful. Mm. Beautifully written. Okay. One last question for you, Marianne. One last question. Sure. And I'll ask Ethan the same thing after he comp- finishes his set. What have you learned about yourself from being a poet? Um... You know, that's, I guess that, that's, it's hard to say because I think what's interesting about, you know, my method of writing, I write a lot in the summer. I don't write during uh, the school semester, you know, unless I go to a workshop. I think, you know, every, every summer, every winter, I take a look at different periods of my life and, and, you know, even listening to the, the poems that I'm reading, I'm saying, hey, you know, like I, when I read that poem about, um, I, I read a couple poems when I, I, I mentioned Ethan, and I said, you know, hey, I do, I do mention him after all. Mhm. Mhm. Um, and I think you know, poetry is, is sometimes a way to resolve uh, certain tensions, like you know, with my ex-husband, you know, my Facebook friend. So you know, I guess those those are some of the things I've I've learned, and you know maybe you know when some of the things I'm learning, you know, I'm I'm when I started writing poetry, I focused more on my mother's side of the family because I felt that they were more interesting. But you know, I'm I'm writing poems about my father's side of the family too. You know, in, in my book, I I have a couple poems where I go to Poland. Actually, I think I have one poem where I go to Poland. Oh, wow, very you know, nice. Other, I, I very might nice. have some other newer poems where I go there, too. Very nice. Thank you for sharing. Thank hey. you for sharing. Ethan, it's your turn. Okay, uh, one one more short, short story. This is called Cattle Farm. Somehow, I had inherited a cattle farm in West Virginia. I found a piece I'd never known hurting the great creatures so large and stoic and stupid and profound and sweet among the sharp green fields and hills beneath a bright sky. They made soft thrumming noises as if speaking to me or to the universe. Perhaps the universe answers them. It never answers me, but I am too neurotic and self-aware 
so the universe is smart to ignore me. I got to know individual cows. Elsa was my favorite, mainly snow white with patches of brown, soft fur. She would rub her rough tongue gently against my hand. It seemed to be love. These massive beasts that could have easily trampled me were gentle as lambs. Soon I will have to send some off to be slaughtered. I might become vegetarian. The bloodiness of meat has become disgusting. Still, I need to sell these cows. That's the way a farm works. You always hurt the ones you love. How much time do I have? You have time. Whatever you'd like to do share. Do I do a long, long poem or a short poem? You can do a long poem. That'd be nice. I only have like an epic length or like just a like a haiku length. Nothing in between. <laughs> I, Nothing you know, between. moderation is overrated. Okay, I'll, this is yeah. a little bit long. This is um, right. when Woody when Woody met Annie. Back then, Manhattan glittered, an island, a metropolis, a universe. Rhapsody in blue soaring from every window of every skyscraper, every brownstone, breathing romance. A couple in silhouette, Annie towered above you. In those days, tough guys glared from a billion big screens. Clint Eastwood, Jack Nicholson, guys who took a gut punch and stayed silent. You were nothing like that. A mensch gushing rye one-liners, epic romance, the terrible and the miserable, the beautiful, too. Charlie Chaplin reborn as a giant pair of glasses, thick black rims, quintessential nerd. A real man is articulate, emotional, Annie, nervous and talky in her jacket and tie, so feminine, announcing our androgynous future. Schlamazzled intellectuals, a mismatched duo, quintessential Manhattan, quintessential America, so of your time, so ahead of your time. You wrecked it all, stomped on your own glasses, stalking young girls to remake them. Perhaps that was always you, a sculptor, crafting souls in your own image. Finally, in a spasm, you sliced a potter's knife through the heart of your adopted family, jagged gash through flesh. There are no more heroes. If Hercules were alive today, he'd be molesting young girls between each of his labors. But it was nothing like that back when the world was fresh with deep thoughts from a billion books. That spring of hope etched in black and white in brilliant color in cinemascope with stereophonic sound back when Manhattan glittered with art and promise when Woody met Annie. That was wonderful, Ethan. Thanks. I don't know if you're a fan of the movie Annie Hall. Yes, I am, actually. Okay. Oh. Yes, I am. Yes, I remember that movie. I think it was 1977, I believe. Yeah, you got it. Oh, yeah, you know that movie. Yes, I do. I think, I think it was well, the same year. The question for on. you then, Ethan, what have you learned about yourself as a poet? What have I – that's uh, – well, I don't know. Probably a lot, but I probably don't even know what I learned about myself. I guess I do have more to say than I would have thought. Well, you know, I always joke, oh, nothing ever happened in my life. But, um, you know, various things happened. They were meaningful. I don't know how much meaning is what you make it. Um, or maybe you don't have that much control over meaning. But you can kind of put some stuff together in poetry and maybe express some of what this stream of consciousness and being that we all have that mostly goes unexpressed, maybe a little bit of that can come out on the page. Mm -hmm. Nicely stated, Ethan. Well, I want to thank you both for being with me tonight. 
as I shared earlier, you're my favorite couple. I love your work, and you're welcome here anytime. And you're a great mentor to poets and to the arts. Thank you very much. Love your Mm -hmm. show and this uh, DC Poetry Project. Yes. Fond memories of that organization. Fond memories. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of memories of that organization. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I'd like to thank our listening audience. Tune in next week when John Patrick Robbins will be here. And until then, have a very safe week. Take care, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host dr michael anthony ingram subscribe to our podcast on itunes spotify or stitcher and make sure to catch our next episode